But first, just to, to test the mic here to see that uh, down a little. Okay. Is that better? Hello. Are you there? Down. Down. Okay. Down a little more. Are you there? Am I here? (laughs) Possibly. So I thought this evening I would start with a little uh, just uh, kind of humor as a way to what uh, frame some of the what uh, it's still a little high. Okay, so we need to number five. Let's go down a little more. Thank you. Okay. So this is um, fifth and sixth graders uh, who are uh, actually this is uh, about weird science. And uh, this is uh, sort of their, uh, what, uh, taken from tests. I think some of you did a few tests, so I thought I would liberate you and some of your views on how these tests work. The law of gravity says no fair jumping up without coming down. (laughs) You can listen to thunder and tell how close you came to getting hit. If you don't hear it, you got hit. (laughs) So never mind. A vibration is a motion that cannot make up its mind which way it wants to go. (laughs) There are 26 vitamins in all, but some of the letters are yet to be discovered. (laughs) There is a tremendous weight pushing down on the center of the earth because so many people are stomping around up there. Genetics explains why you look like your father, and if you don't, why you should. (laughs) Vacuums are nothings. We only mention them to let you know we know they're there. The cause of perfume disappearing is evaporation. Evaporation gets blamed for a lot of things people forget to put the tops on. (laughs) It's so hot in some places that people there have to live in other places. Mushrooms always grow in damp places, which is why they look like umbrellas. (laughs) Momentum is something you give a person when they go away. 
The word, quote, trousers is an uncommon noun because it is singular at the top and plural at the bottom. <laughs> Some people can tell what time it is by looking at the sun, but I've never been able to see the numbers. <laughs> when planets run around and around in circles, we say they're orbiting. When people do it, we say they're crazy. <laughs> oh no. Blood circulates through the body by flowing down one leg and up the other. <laughs> there are four seasons. Salt, pepper, mustard, and vinegar. <laughs> Oh, a census taker is a man who goes from house to house increasing the population. <laughs> the spinal column is a long bunch of bones. The head sits on the top and you sit on the bottom. <laughs> So, so tonight I wanted to uh, explore with you just through some stories and a little poetry. The um, this uh, word bodhicitta, uh, which is really this, uh, in, in essence, this. Um, and this heartful wish for awakening, and how uh, underneath all this, uh, somewhere where um, we have to uh, listen and begin to uh, recognize uh, inside ourselves this uh, potential, the seed of awakening, and how uh, through these paramitas, through uh, particularly the uh, willingness to uh, recognize uh, determination and uh, uh, wise uh, effort and energy uh, and a sense of um, uh, really this open-heartedness uh, that uh, can uh, what hold us and keep us uh, directed on this path. So uh, I wrote you a poem, and I have to uh, what, preface it by uh, just before I came here, uh, after 20-some years, uh, my well went dry, So, uh, which was to me a big uh, uh, what, uh, recognition that uh, there was uh, what, uh, somewhere I had to go. And in this case, I have to go deep down in the earth. You know. So, I call this the world calling. 
from a well gone dry. From this silence, so well constructed, I wander off into tomorrow, bending like a willow trying to touch a world unhatched. This impossible of my imagination. I am the intimacy of faith. I am the grandeur of loneliness. I am the worthiness. That which is kept buried beneath the wounds of my stories. Sometimes everything has to be studied. Knowing somehow this sitting here, not enough. This knowing, this fierce walking, like pilgrims through the darkness. Knowing we have traveled inside everyone. Feeling the grief, the joys, I want to know. No more traveling on the wings of fear and hope, but sit by the fire of living. No longer dying to what could have been, or even what will be, but finding my place in the things that are. Some mysterious presence, some grace, some bit of mercy, miraculously lived. So let this listening somewhere beneath the granite shelves of the earth, where the sweet waters lie in wait, to be tapped to give life back to life. This basic goodness, this first step home, gives you back to yourself. The heart flowing with each encounter, a mind pliable, moving like a sweet stream from that deep down listening. I am awake as the world calls in its pungent need to change me. I move into it with it. This intimacy of faith, uh, this grandeur of loneliness. I am the worthiness. So this word bodhicitta, uh, this like we spoke last night, uh, Jack, so eloquently about uh, this, uh, the path itself, the, the uh, bodhisattva. Uh, the being uh, of awakening, uh, the one who manifests and uh, lives these paramitas. Uh, there is this uh, practice uh, that needs uh, to be acknowledged and instilled in us that in some form some need within us that we have to somehow point, uh, point uh, from that place where we have been exploring, uh, that place that we have been uh, uncovering, uh, that place uh, where this 
stillness, uh, this fortitude, this strength, uh, that it is remembered and that it is committed. Sometimes in the, uh, uh, these paramitas in, in the Mahayana tradition, they have uh, one that they speak of as vows. Uh, and it is really that determination that is necessary uh, to recognize uh, where are you going? You know, oh, if there's 360 degrees of choice as you walk out of here, then uh, there has to be, in some sense, some acknowledgement of what it is you have been studying. What is it that you have, uh, what has been revealed to you that gives you, in some way, uh, this uh, could be a moment of uh, peace or freedom or inspiration that somehow you know that uh, this basic goodness uh, that is who you are. You know, we have this uh, inner uh, kind of critic or judge or kind of the uh, put-downer or something that covers up so many times uh, the value and the truth of uh, this uh, simple goodness. And our practice here is somehow we have to go down. Uh, we have to go down and uh, sometimes those sweet waters are, uh, we have to wait a long time. Uh, we have to go uh, quite deep. But you know what I'm talking about. You know, coming for two months or a month, uh, it is time. It gives time, you know, to unravel, to uh, see those places that prevent us uh, from really giving to ourselves. And we do know the difference. This idea of the kind of this basic goodness uh, that we are. It's not something that is some foreign language. Uh, something that someone else has. Uh, it is not something out of uh, some book or some text or some uh, long-lost poem. No. Uh, it is something that uh, through uh, this what. Uh, I use this word, this impossible place in the last poem I wrote. This impossible place. Through our uh, intention, through intentions of others, through intentions that go back centuries, uh, we have uh, been carried on the uh, wings of these uh, intentions 
that have, and the determination uh, that brings us to this place right now. Uh, this is from Shanti Deva, um, one of the great uh, what, preponderers of um, this bodhisattva, this uh, capacity to aim towards uh, uh, this heart-mind awakening. As a blind man feels when he finds a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of, Im- of immortality that delivers us from death. The treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. That lives us, lifts us from the poverty into the wealth of giving to life. It's the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life. The bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life. The cool moon of compassion that, our cal- that calms our mind when it is agitated. The sun that dispels the darkness. The butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. So I wanted to uh, kind of continue with this uh, story. Of, uh, I noticed that uh, Quilly so uh, beautifully put one of the, the north face of, uh, of the Kailash, uh, this uh, mountain, uh, which uh, to me is sort of the, uh, what, uh, the mythology, of my internal mythology of my own um, dreams of this uh, mountain, uh, which represents on some level the uh, process of, uh, and levels of awakening. But of course it never is exactly uh, what we imagine it to be. And so I told the story of how um, walking to the mountain I uh, had somewhere around 15,000 uh, on the Narla Pass on the way going into Tibet, uh, I got an abscess tooth. And uh, I had that contraction that uh, held me in captivity for uh, several days. And um, in so many ways, I see uh, these journeys as no different than this practice of sitting and being uh, it's somewhere along the line, you get an abscess tooth. You know, uh, it's the nature of uh, that longing to awaken, uh, that willingness to uh, step out of our 
kind of conventional cells take this risk to come for two months or a month. And um, uh, give ourselves over uh, to what is presented. And sometimes it can be a, you know, one of these journeys where the sky is clear and the mind is, uh, has this uh, capacity for one point in this. And uh, it uh, can touch uh, the, the great wonders of the sky, you know, uh, where the body uh, is light. And the mind holds no stories. And rests in the, uh, the really the the profound uh, the finest sense realm, the realms beyond even the finest sense realms, into the kind of openness, the sky itself. But then there are other times where we come here and uh, we have to uh, come up against something like an abscess tooth or some old story or some piece of uh, our history or our bodies right now. (coughs) Or some confusion that uh, holds us up for a period in captivity. And that captivity is there uh, not as a, in a sense, I don't see it as, um, in a way, uh, I felt like, oh, why me? You know, after all this, uh, really years of, uh, of wishing and uh, wanting to uh, touch uh, this uh, mountain. And just the recognition that once uh, we touch the pain in ourselves, there has to be this melting, uh, in a sense, this kind of falling apart that is necessary. It's part of this uh, journey that we uh, gave ourselves to. You know, uh, in this case, it was just, you know, I couldn't stop crying. You know, sometimes I didn't know why. You know, it was just the fact that uh, when we know that that pain is not just mine, uh, that's your pain, that's all the pain that holds us um, uh, in captivity, you know? It's not there uh, just to exemplify some... a small psychological reality of uh, mother, father, uh, childhood, uh, what happened to me. It's there as something that can break and open, you know, like a shell, that can open us into uh, this this place, this bigger place, uh, this, the big, in some way. 
And that big is this necessity in some way uh, to uh, allow us and not to hold back, you know, uh, not to be frightened of the world, not to be frightened of uh, these old wounds or stories or things that uh, uh, prevent these paramitas from establishing themselves. Uh, they're there to actually uh, give them meaning, uh, to give them value, uh, to, for us to recognize uh, that there is, uh, that is where our strength actually lies. Uh, it doesn't lie in the past, and it doesn't lie in some uh, future we make up. Uh, some, what was it, uh, from this silence so well constructed. I wander off into tomorrow, bending like a willow, trying to touch a world unhatched, trying to touch a world unhatched, the impossible of my own imagination. So for many of us in this whole idea of uh, tomorrow and the next day and the, uh, that that's ahead. No. It'll come. No. Uh, but this capacity to recognize what it is you're doing here. No. What this is about. And uh, what uh, is it you carry? In the story, I We drove across Tibet and crossed high passes and uh, came down to Nepal with, you know, sort of bus wheels hanging over the side and uh, uh, roads that were washed out and, and uh, uh, places that um, I was sitting right up in the front of this bus with uh, our crew, so right on the very front, and we would just go into curves, uh, just blind curves. Uh, the driver just would go straight into them, you know, kind of beep his horn once. Sometimes he didn't even beep his horn. And I always kept thinking, well, if someone comes around that corner, you know, it happens, you know. Um, and so there was this sense of, you know, uh, and I'm going to make it. And because everything about the stars uh, was in alignment, it's why we were the only kind of group that got in this last year through that route. And, you know, a year and a half before that, the Maoists uh, held that area. So, uh, and then the uh, breakdown in Tibet in uh, March of the year before. Uh, had uh, isolated uh, that route. You know. But we got all the way through. We got back to Kathmandu, and at that point there was this uh, question in my mind about, well, could I fly with this tooth? 
that had abscessed and I'd taken the antibiotics and uh, they had uh, again uh, miraculously uh, worked. And so I went with my son one day in kind of the funky streets in the dust of Kathmandu and found this uh, Nepali dentist and um, uh, I thought, well, I don't want to fly uh, with this tooth. Uh, possibly, again, altitude and flying uh, could uh, reignite uh, the abscess, the infection again. And so actually my community, they'd given me a bunch of drugs, you know, and so I had all sorts of things and actually antibiotics uh, to uh, go with. But I decided I would go in and see what this dentist said. So she went in and she took the mirror and looked at it and she banged on the tooth <laughs> and said, oh, well, it could be a ghost. It could be this one or that one, you know, and I, I said, well, uh, when is it? And it was in the office, there, were, there was this window with these louvers. Uh, and my son was sitting directly on the other side, you know. And so uh, she said, well, I could drill it out and uh, clean it out, and then you'll be fine to fly back, and you shouldn't have a problem. So I said, okay, cool. Let's do it, you know. So, uh, you know, usually I think they give you Novocaine. <laughs> so she pulls out this drill, and she begins drilling, and... You know, after about, and my poor son is sitting on the other side of the wall. And, and you know, because of, she said, oh, this is, this is a Japanese gold, because I, it was through a crown. And she says, I'm, she sort of did one bit and it started to smell the burning, you know, in the room. And uh, so she had to change bits. And so she did it again a few times. And, and it, it took about 45 minutes for her to get through. And of course, I was fine, you know. And she actually, I had no pain, right? She went ahead and kind of cleaned it out, nothing. You know, no aspirin, no nothing, you know? And it was dead, you know? That piece of me was dead, you know? But my poor son, who was sitting on the other side of this wall in the smell, and 45 minutes of drilling, and she'd have to stop, you know, and there was this, you know, there's a kind of a burning smell, you know, and uh, that it was quite pungent, you know? <laughs> And um, I remember coming back out, and she put some kind of some cotton in there and some temporary filling. You know, I came out, and he was kind of white. You know, <laughs> and uh, and so we, we talked about well, you know, it's like this practice, right? You know, we go and we work really hard, and we uh, find these places in ourselves. And sometimes when we don't get any anesthesia here, you know, we made a deal: no anesthesia. You know. Uh, we operate on the heart. We operate on the old stories. We operate on mother, father. Uh, we operate on the possibility of touching that deep, deep water, that deep stream that talks and tells us about this basic goodness. It works that way. You're going out into the world, you know. And what's been amazing to me over the years is that, um, no, it doesn't all get undone here, you know. But it loosens. It loosens the structure. You know, you go down below, beneath. You know, 
so it loosens the whole structure. And over the years of going in and out of retreat, and uh, uh, kind of uh, watching the way this works, and getting more and more confidence, you know, uh, each time more confidence that, you know, uh, this is not about anesthesia. This is not about somehow that, uh, I'm not saying that there isn't still a rawness there. But what this is about, you know. I have another story I wanted to relate to you, which uh, has to do with kind of this going back out and, and um, uh, how this kind of uh, bodhicitta can work in some ways. And it has to do when many years ago, um, I was coming out of retreat, and one of the things that happened was I kept, uh, my father and I were estranged, and he was uh, an alcoholic, uh, a very um, menacing uh, individual. Uh, and, um, you know, when I was young, he always said, yo, you're just too sensitive, you gotta toughen up. You know, well, I don't know if I ever did. You know, uh, I don't think, I, I never made it in his eyes. Uh, but what was true was um, in this practice of sitting and, and going over uh, kind of the uh, stories was I began this process of realizing that uh, all I wanted to do was get away. I'd spent my life kind of running away from him in some ways. And his, uh, you know, I could never trust because of the alcohol uh, you know, he'd be nice one minute, and then the next he would be, you know, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And uh, so it kind of undermined my trust, you know. But what this practice brought back to me, and I had to kind of unearth it in a way, that I had to learn again to trust. And how to do that. And so there was a piece where finally I began this process of, of uh, uh, writing these letters in my own imagination, sitting. And I would write them over and over, and I would get about halfway through, and then I would say, this is not worth it, and I would stop. But I did it again and again, and it began to sort of, in a sense, uh, like that tooth became uh, abscessed in some way. And at that time, fortunately, uh, there was um, uh, really uh, one of our uh, wonderful um, explorers, uh, uh, Baba Ramdas, uh, known AKA uh, Richard Albert, the Harvard psychologist. So I went to him and I was, I was sitting, I, he was a friend and we were talking and I told him my story and I said, I just can't kind of get through this. It keeps coming up again and again and again. And I've done all these retreats and I can't seem to, I just want to let go of him. I don't, I don't want this. He said, you know, I don't think you can do that. You know? So he said, uh, have you thought about going to visit him? And I said, 
uh, not particularly. <laughs> you know. And he said, well, I'll give you some advice. And he said, you know, I was sort of this uh, kind of wild man in India that was kind of, you know, I'd gone native. You know, so I wore my skirt, and I had my purse, and kind of went around barefooted with all beads and bangles and all that stuff, you know. It was, you know, the end of the 60s, beginning of 70s. And um, so uh, he said, well, why don't you go and imagine what he would like to see you as, you know? And he said, and the other advice is don't stay too long. <laughs> okay? Don't stay too long. So um, that year I went up and I was, uh, and I'd go in the summers to this uh, Kulu Valley, Manali, and I lived in a little hut about an hour's walk where I uh, did my kind of my solo retreat life. And uh, I was in love, you know. This was the, this place in the Himalayas was a place of uh, astounding beauty. Uh, just, uh, I had a cave that I would go up to and I would sit there and uh, look out over the, where the fog would come in over the valley and the high pines and the, uh, the uh, uh, to watch it, it faced east. And so you could sit there in the early morning, you know, sit, and then you could see the sun rise over the mountains there in this, uh, um, these, um, you know, uh, really the white uh, glacier reflections off the mountains. And, uh, you know, what else could I want? You know, but that was still there. It was still, in some ways, in me and haunting me. And so, at the end of that summer, I decided that uh, I would return to the States. And I was a little cautious because uh, in 1967, uh, uh, I had been uh, drafted and I had uh, one Y and I had disappeared to Asia and uh, was, um, and this was, I think, 72. So. By then, uh, there was, I'd forgotten, uh, some kind of lottery and things were kind of, uh, you know, no one I thought would notice me coming back in, you know. But I had that fear of, you know, uh, entering. And my father had turned me into the draft board, by the way, okay, in 1967, uh, that maybe that would straighten me out, you know. And the pain of that, you know, uh, it felt like a real betrayal. You know, so I knew what I was stepping into, that this was really a big deal for me to come back to the States. And I, I kind of feared it here in a lot of ways. I didn't feel like I fit in anymore. I had, you know, kind of uh, broken all my ties. My mother was dead. I was, I was gone beyond on some level. And then coming back, uh, uh, as story goes, I decided, oh, I wanted to look like the way he wanted me. He was a businessman, you know. Uh, he was actually, uh, he and John Barry, Wendell Barry's dad were kind of worked in this uh, farmer's cooperative. And, and um, so I went into this village and I found the local tailor. And I said, make me a three-piece suit. And we had this old like Vogue magazine or one of these old magazines and, and you know, it had like and it was all kind of beaten up and shredded and everything. And, and I showed it to him. And he said, oh, I can make that. 
you know. So he told me how many, you know, meters of material I had to go to buy of this, uh, it was this Chinese corduroy. So I bought this corduroy and I brought it back to him and so, and took all the measurements and uh, so he uh, began laboriously uh, making the suit for me, you know, to return with. So he, um, it was actually quite lovely. There was one problem though, was no one told him that you should keep the same color thread. So there was all these different color threads kind of mixed in with it, but you know, you had to look close and you know, I thought, oh well, that's good enough, you know. And uh, so he then uh, he proceeded to, uh, we got this thing all fitted up and I thought, okay, I'm ready to go. And I went over to uh, my uh, kind of my precept teacher, which was this uh, teacher, Apu Rinpoche, and my friend uh, who today, Lamas uh, Sultram Alion, and then uh, we decided I better cut my hair. It'd gotten a little, uh, it's gotten a little long now too, but uh, here we are at retreat. And so um, she gave me this haircut. And so I felt like, oh, I was ready to go. You know, I could go to Delhi. And uh, I went to Delhi and, and uh, uh, just the, the story, it was 126 degrees in Delhi. And I didn't have much money, so I had this, I didn't stay in an air-conditioned place, and that's where I had to just take showers and showers. And there was also in Kanat Circus, right there in the middle of Delhi in those days, uh, there was uh, the communists and there was, uh, and the police and the army were having this big battle. And I don't know why I tell you this part of the story, but anyway, it's just part of the story, you know, story, story. So I get this suitcase and I look like really together, you know, I finally, wow, I don't look like this seedy old, you know, hippie in, in India who had just been, you know, I had finally just kind of dissolved there. And I'm walking across the street and they are shooting tear gas back and forth, you know, across, I'm trying to get to Air India bus, you know, in Kanatsuka, so I have to cross it. And it was the most amazing thing. It was, again, this determination. I started walking. And actually, there would be you know, somebody budgeting, some, some, somebody in the line. And they would see me coming, and they would stop and move aside and let me walk right through the middle. And I'm going, oh, this has got to be meta. You know? And I made it to the bus, and they got tear gassed. And, and uh, I made it back to the, the, to the States. And I, I, I went to see my dad. You know? And I was scared. I mean, it was like inside I knew that all the, all my projections and the thing I had run from, you know, and I had so many pieces of anger and hurt that had happened so many times over the years. But I was different. You know, I was not the same person who had left. And I went and I sat and... Um, I began to see, and it was no longer about me. It was suddenly about this man who had suffered, who had suffered over and over again. And, um, you know, it was no longer about me, you know. And I actually opened my heart to this man, you know. And even though I didn't make it through the three days because he got drunk and uh, called me probably every name in the book. And I remember going up to my room and I just cried and I just went, you know, is this worth it? 
And it's interesting because I went and I left then that next day and, and um, I'm somewhat deflated, but I had, I had seen him. You know, he had not seen me. He never saw me in his life. You know, but I had seen him. I could see who he was. You know. And uh, I went then, I actually went then to Boulder and I hung out with Trumpa for a little while. And um, another difficult piece, which, um, uh, where I didn't fit in, in that community. And, and um, you know, I, it was interesting because I went and would get drunk with him, you know, and get kind of crazy. And, but I couldn't handle it, you know. And all, I'd, all I wanted to do was just go back to India. And I realized, you know, there was some piece about awakening and somehow I didn't find it here in what I was looking for. And I went back, and then again, this determination about, you know, uh, what is this about? You know, uh, this capacity to have a, a, you know, kind of this warriorship in this direction, and this capacity to realize I can open my heart, you know, uh, and I have the courage uh, to face uh, what. To me, was uh, something that was uh, overwhelming, you know, and it gave me such confidence. I never had. A, I went back and I sat many retreats. It never happened again, but I had to go and do it. You know, I had to go and do it. I had to face kind of my demon, not just in my mind, but actually in reality. And so I say this to you because um, uh, that's. Uh, you know, a part of how this practice works. We have to go and be touched by the world in some way. And uh, surrender, give ourselves over you know, to sort of our fears and hopes in some way that we have to uh, not be captured. You know, not be captured anymore. Enough of that. You know, there is this world that really needs us to show up uh, more uh, time than ever, you know. Uh, but we need to have this compass pointed in the right direction. You have to make that commitment to yourself, to the truth, to these paramitas, in the sense they will support you with this mindfulness, you know. And there has to be this uh, recognition of this, you know, this basic intelligence that is there. You know, can you trust that? And this capacity to recognize that you actually that it's not complicated. You know, the practice is about the uncomplicated. Just taking one step, you know, just saying whenever it gets confusing, you know, uh, just here, this is it. You know, I can feel myself in my body. I can trust my heart. Uh, I can allow this intelligence uh, if I listen. know. So 
why uh, we call it insight practice. You know, it's not from something we make up. It's something that, uh, through this uh, gestalt, this kind of wholeness, uh, we can meet the world. So this is from David White, uh, one of my uh, great loves of poets. In the beginning, sometimes simplicity rises, like a blossom of fire from the white silk of your own skin. You were there in the beginning. You heard the story. You heard the merciless and tender words telling you where you had to go. Exile is never easy, and the journey itself leaves a bitter taste. But then, when you heard that voice, you had to go. You couldn't stay by the fire. You couldn't live so close to the live flame of that compassion. You had to go out in the world and make it your own. so you could come back with that flame in your voice, saying, listen, this warmth, this unbearable light, this fearful love, it's all here. It's all here. So the practice of, um, I was thinking of in the kind of Mahayana tradition, when they talk about the uh, paramitas, uh, this uh, recognition that, uh, that uh, this vow or this way to point uh, towards um, what you know uh, is so, uh, what you know uh, is your way, you know. It's your own way. It's not some prescribed way. Uh, it's a way that uh, you know that you have to go deep. Just like my poem, in the sense, you have to hit some uh, sweet place inside you and uh, follow it. So I will uh, kind of read this poem again to finish this evening. The world calling from a well gone dry. From the silence so well constructed, I wander off into tomorrow, a bending like a willow trying to touch a world unhatched. This impossible, 
of my imagination. I am the intimacy of faith. I am the grandeur of loneliness. I am the worthiness, that which is kept buried beneath the wounds of my stories. Sometimes everything has to be studied, knowing somehow this sitting here, not enough. This knowing the fierce walking like pilgrims through the darkness, knowing we've traveled inside everyone. Feeling the grief, the joys. I want to know, no more traveling on the wings of fear and hope, but sit by the fire of living, no longer dying to what could have been or even what will be but finding my place in the things that are some mysterious presence, some grace, some bit of mercy, miraculously lived. So let this listening somewhere beneath the granite shelves of earth where the sweet waters lie in wait to be tapped, to give life back to life. This basic goodness, this first step home. Gives you back to yourself, the heart flowing with each encounter, a mind pliable, moving like the sweet stream from that deep down listening. I am awake. As the world calls in its pungent need to change me, I move into it, with it. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention.